certain elements or certain parts of your grandmother's or your grandfather's house that you always remember. And when you were a really, really little kid, there's certain things that you remember being huge and because you were so small. But I tell you, when it came to my grandma and grandfather's house on my mom's side, I always remembered uh, the World War I uh, gear that was hanging underneath the stairwell at grandma and grandpa's house. So there was a helmet, there was a uniform, uh, there was a sword, there was a bunch of different things. There was the shoes, there was the boots, there was all those different things. But when it came to my grandma and grandpa D's house, which was my dad's mom and my dad's stepdad, um, I, I remember certain things, literally like it was yesterday. First of all, I never forget hockey night in Canada at Grandma D's house. We always went, Craig and I, when we were kids, and we would watch the first period, and then that was it, we had to go home to bed, right? But we always had little cheese nibs. I don't know if you've ever had the cheese nibs. I'm telling you, I always remember the cheese nibs because that's all that grandma served almost every single time we were there. But there was something about Grandpa D that always amazed me. It was his tool area. He had this, what I would say, the original man cave. It was this giant tool room that had millions upon millions of tools. I'm sure it was hundreds, but it felt like millions, especially to a small little guy. But there was something that he had that always intrigued me, and it was this great big uh, workman's coat. It was almost like a winter coat. It was a greenish-brownish coat. It was huge, and it was what he would always wear going out back and forth between the, the garage and the outside there and back into his, his man cave, as, we call, as I call it now. But that coat mesmerized me. And little did they know, and little did my parents know, there was every once in a while, as kids and as cousins, we would try to sneak into Grandpa's man cave and find some interesting, wonderful things that we shouldn't have found. You know what I'm saying? Of course, none of you have ever done that at your grandma and grandfather's house. Of course. And so, the thing that always got my attention was that coat. But he had it up on a hook, and I was about this tall. I couldn't reach it. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get into it. I couldn't jump into it. I tried every single way possible to get it until one day, uh, my brother and I came up with a, contrap and a, a means to get it off the hook and down somehow. The only problem was is I was standing below the coat. When the coat came off, it landed on me, and the weight of the coat literally made me fall over. It was one of those big, heavy workman's winter coats that you'd see these construction guys wearing in the middle of winter. Those big, huge, honking things. And I couldn't carry the weight of this coat. And I literally was, I was exhilarated that we finally got it off the wall, discouraged because I couldn't wear it. I have news for you today that there is a specific coat, a specific garment, a specific call, a specific gifting, a specific ability, something that God has for each individual that no one else can wear but you. It's custom fit. It's custom fit. Now, if my grandfather was still alive today and they still lived on Harmony Road uh, at the corner of Regent and Harmony in Oshawa and I could still go over there, I think I could fit into it now. But I couldn't. There's always things that you remember that you wish you could have had passed on to you as a kid because you remembered it so much. I remembered those things, and I never forget those things. But as I said, I realized that it wasn't for me at that time. One of the most important things that you can understand in this day and in this season is that God has a custom-fit coat for you. In the Old Testament, there is a word that is used. And I'm actually going to use this word today. It's kind of an Old Testament kind of word. 
So don't, don't, don't kind of lose me as we speak this morning, but it's a word that's called mantle. As soon as we hear the word mantle, what do you often think about? Fireplace. Okay, well, where do you hang things? Sometimes fireplace. Like, what do we hang at Christmas Eve? Right, so stockings. But what I, what I want you to understand is that the Old Testament word for these big outer cloaks or coats was the word mantle. So that doesn't make any sense. No, it was an Old Testament word. It makes no sense. But I want you to follow along with me this morning. And I want to talk about the life and ministry of Elisha in comparison to this. And I hope by the end of this, you understand and you see this morning that God has a unique gift, call, hope, perspective, purpose, vision for your life that no one else can take. It's specifically for you. And God has put his extra on your ordinary so that you can do it. How many are blessed by that? How many know that in and of yourself, you're limited? But with God, all things are possible. Do we have to stand up again? <laughs> with God, all things are possible. Okay, good. I like the, uh, the talking back and forth. I don't mind it at all as long as you don't yell any you know, blasphemous, crazy comments about the leaves. Then I'm good. No, I don't want to hear that. I just ignore that. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 16, and you can follow along with the verses on the screen behind me. It says this, Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of whatever his name is, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of whatever, of whatever, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So this is the instructions of God to the prophet Elijah to basically, um, you know, if we're thinking Donald Trump because he's kind of important right now, this is the apprentice God style. You're fired, Elijah. Now go get your replacements. Okay? You're fired. All right? You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Okay, that, that is how it went. And so the story carries on in verse 19. And it says this, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. So picture now Grandpa D walking by, seeing little Cameron all excited about this big coat, and he grabs his jacket and throws it on this little five-year-old Cameron. Cameron gets absolutely blindsided by the coat, falls over and is hidden under there, and he tries to find his way out through the sleeves. You know what I'm talking about? Elijah, the prophet of God, comes along, takes the mantle of God, which we're going to talk about what it represents in a second, and throws it upon Elisha while he's working. Okay, It didn't say he stopped, walked over, and saw him and had a little meeting. It said while he was, while he was plowing with the yoke of oxen, and he was with the 12th yoke of oxen, probably going up and down the 5,000th line that day, he throws it on him. How many know that when you're working and you're sweaty and you're hot and you're doing plowman work as a farmer, the last thing you want is to have extra weight added to you? How many military people in this place love it when they make you fill up your backpack with 50,000 pounds of stuff and then still go do the same training? It's not something you look forward to. It's not something you wake up in the morning and say, wow, this is going to be a great day. Something I've always looked forward to doing. Woohoo, happy days are here again. No, that's not how it goes. He threw his cloak on him. So what is a mantle? The Hebrew word, which no one's ever going to remember, and it's really irrelevant, but I'm going to say it to you anyway. It's the word adareth, and it means this. This is what it's translated in the Old Testament. It means glory, splendor, magnificent, 
cloak, mantle, and can I add another word? Extraordinary. It's from the root word, adar, which literally has two different meanings. And I want you to hear them for a second here. The first one means majestic, superior to something else, mighty, extraordinary. And it is often translated in other verses as the mighty ones. So think about this. You're walking along, doing everyday life. You're working at your job. You're cleaning up the yard after, you know, after cutting the grass. Or, you're, or you're, you're going grocery shopping. You're doing whatever. And God's cloak, His mantle is thrust upon you. And you are now God's mighty ones. So somehow before that, you weren't. And then when the mantle came upon you, you were. How many know that that happened instantly? It's not like he had to work up to it. It's not even like he asked for it. How many have been compelled by the things of God and, you're sitting, and some days you're just like, God, leave me alone. I don't want to do that right now. It's like, no, I'm going to put it on you because I see what's on your life. And sometimes we go, well, I don't, I don't know how to carry that. I don't know how to carry the weight of that expectation. You know what's so incredible about expectations is that when God puts it on you, he already knows what you're capable of or he wouldn't put it on you. So he's calling forth what you never thought you could do. By placing upon your life the mantle of God, which represents the symbolic power of God on your life. It represents the authority, the call, the anointing, and the ministry grace of God on your life. How many know that you all have a unique grace gift? You have unique gifts. Some of your spouses would think you're very unique. Okay? But you have a unique gift mix on your life, you have a unique personality. You have a unique style. Right? Some of us are still wondering why you have that unique style and that it ended in the 1970s. But somehow you think it's always going to come back. And it's okay, because one day it may. One day it may not. But that's okay. That's okay. The mantle is symbolic of the sacrifice and the commitment of the person who wore it. As a five-year-old boy in that little man cave for my Grandpa D, I didn't have the ability to carry what my grandfather carried. Cool thing with God is he knows exactly what's custom fit for your life now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. So he's never going to give you something that's custom fit for you when you're bigger. Right? He's not going to give that coat to a five-year-old son or a five-year-old grandson. Let's carry on with our story for a second. 1 Corinthians 19, carrying on verse 19, 20, and 21. In verse 20 it says, And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. I want to say to you this morning, and, and this is where it really echoes what Ray has shared the last three Sundays, the mantle or the call or the gifting or the power of God that wants to be resting upon your life is for the unlikely. How many feel kind of unlikely this morning? 
Like, why in the world would God ever use me? Come on, let's be honest this morning. How many have ever felt like that? Like, well, God, I don't, you know, I'm not that special. I, I don't really know what I'm good at. I don't really know what I can do with my life. And I don't know what God wants to do through my life. So why in the world would I ever think that God would want to put his extra on my ordinary and make me something that is beyond myself? Because he loves you. Deepest revelation you're going to get this morning. Because he loves you. He desperately loves you. How many have ever had a wake-up call at 6 o'clock in the morning when you turn over and your, you know, your three-year-old daughter is basically snuggled up so close to your face that uh, she wakes you up out of a dead sleep, and then as soon as you do, she looks at you and says, I love you, Daddy! <laughs> That's what God is like every morning with you. Every morning, you wake up. He's staring right at you. So are you ready for what we're going to do today? Well, I don't know if I can do that. Nay, I've made you extraordinary. I've put a mantle on you. I've put authority on you. I've put the power of God on your life. There's nothing that is impossible when I am at the helm of the ship called your life. Amen? The mantle is for the unlikely. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29, it says this. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, uh, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh, no person, no individual could, uh, could glory in his presence. I love the definition of names. I love all that stuff. I'm sure you've seen that over the last seven years. But the name Elisha means God is Savior. And I often say that the people that God uses the most are those that he had to save the most. Those that he had to save the most from. And what did Elijah say? He said, God, where, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to anoint as the next prophet of Israel? And he says, I want you to go down to this person that is the most unlikely person on the face of the planet. No one is thinking about this guy. No one's even asking about him. But I want you to go find him because his name means I'm his Savior and he's been saved from a lot. That's the guy I want to use because he will know my mercy and my grace like nobody else. And he can be a mouthpiece for me because I know his heart. Don't despise feeling like you're an unlikely individual because God will use you. It's amazing that uh, Elisha is from the tribe of Issachar. How many have ever heard of that? Thank you. Probably two Bible college students have heard of that. How many else have heard that? Nobody. We always hear about the tribe of Judah. We hear about the tribe of this, the tribe of Benjamin. How many have ever heard of the tribe of Issachar? Nobody. How many have ever heard of a place called Abel Mahola? I don't know about you, but I haven't. I have never heard of Abel Mahola. Now, I've heard of Bethel. I've heard of Jerusalem. I've heard of this place, that place. I've heard a lot of places in the Bible. There's a lot of cities in the Bible that are famous that you hear repeated over and over and over again. How many have ever heard of the city Abel Mahola? Nobody. Except Abel. That's it. Abel Mahola was the only guy that knew it. But anyhow, God loves to use the unknowns and the unlikelies. That's his heart. The second thing is this. The mantle 
finds people in the field of obscurity. The mantle finds people in the field of obscurity. How many have ever felt like they're overlooked? Yeah, well, you know, my sibling is going to get that because that's who always gets it. I never get that. Well, they always get the promotions at work because they, I'm just always overlooked. Listen, God finds people in the field of obscurity and places His God-given authority and power upon you to do what none of those other people could do because He's custom-fit that coat for your life. And He's calling you forth to do mighty things for God. He wants to look at you and say, you're a mighty one for me. 1 Kings 19, verse 19 again. We're going to read this again because I want you to see this. It says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him, threw his mantle on him. I want you to see something here. And I want you to catch something because sometimes we have a bit of a kind of a misunderstanding of sometimes how God works. And I don't want you to misunderstand this. It was Elijah that found Elisha. It was Elijah that threw his mantle on him. Elisha didn't ask for it. Elisha did not seek it, did not ask for it, and did not find it. It was thrust upon him. And I know that, you know, there's a whole bunch of different thoughts and opinions on on the pursuing of God. First of all, I want to say, you should pursue God with everything you've got. But you should not pursue God the gift of God, the mantle of God, because God will find you. You pursue God, and He finds you with His mantles, custom fit for your life. So, you know what the coolest thing is about that idea? Is that it doesn't matter what the person next to you is doing. Or not doing. You pursue God. And He will find the custom fit mantle, cloak, coat, whatever it is for your life. And it doesn't matter what that person does. You just pursue the things of God. Do you believe that this morning? Elisha was found in the field of obscurity and he was chosen because of the heart or the hidden man of his life. His heart is for you. His heart is for you. First thing he does is he, Elijah becomes his spiritual father. Elisha goes back to his natural parents, kisses them goodbye, says, see you later. And says, just so I make sure that I don't get tempted to come back to my old life, my old way of thinking, my old patterns, I'm going to burn every last ounce of the job that I had, throw it in the fire, cook the, cook the oxen on the, you know, the man-made uh, oven and feed everyone in the town. That's what he did. Just to make sure that, hey, there's no temptation to go back to my old way of thinking or my old way of living. God's call just like for Elisha, is to take a nobody and to make them a God somebody. That's his heart. But it's got to be in him. You have a custom fit mantle from heaven. I want to encourage you this morning, never let it go. Never give it up. Never hand it over to somebody else. Don't let anyone take it from you because it's for you and it's custom fit just for you, for your life, for your personality, for your gift mix. That doesn't mean don't continue to change and become more like Jesus. But I want you to know that the call, the gift, and the ability of God on your life, the mantle of God that he's placing, is just perfectly for you. Do you believe that this morning? The third thing is this. The mantle always falls on those who have been preparing deeply. Again, when we look at this passage, we understand uh, so many things. But I just want to skip down a couple of verses. I want to read Mark chapter 1. 
verses 16 to 18, okay? Actually, sorry, I'm going to go back up. I'm going to read Psalm 78. Sorry, Richard. Psalm 78, verse 70, and I want you to hear this. We already learned that 1 Kings 19.19 talks about the call from Elijah, passes the mantle, and immediately Elisha left his job, his family, and left and followed him. So listen to King David. Psalm 78, verse 70, it says, He also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. He left his sheepfolds immediately. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, and it says, And as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who later would become Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. They left their livelihood. They left their jobs. They left their pension. They left their career. They left their uh, medical plan. They left everything. Mind you, they didn't really have OHIP back then, but just work with me, okay? They left everything and followed God. But I want you to catch something here. Because we have, uh, in our culture, not necessarily at impact, but in church culture worldwide, we have a, uh, a misunderstanding about this idea of full-time ministry. How many have ever heard of full-time ministry? And when you hear full-time ministry, what do you think of? You think of me, right? You think of somebody who's actually paid to do the job of ministry, whether it's a missionary, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a whatever, but that's how we automatically kind of default to. It's a full-time minister is someone who's paid to do the job of taking care of the church or uh, a mission uh, organization or something. But I have news for you this morning. You're called to full-time ministry. Every one of you. Because ministry is not a job, it's a life. Someone said to me the other day, man, you know, you know pastoring must be hard at times. I said, well, you know, yeah, there's things that come along that you don't necessarily enjoy dealing with, but I'm blessed out of my socks because I'm actually doing what I want to do, what I love to do, what I believe I'm called to do. I've got my mantle on. I'm living it out every single day, and somebody gives me a paycheck. I'm like, how cool is that? That is the coolest thing. I actually get paid to do what I love. It's awesome. If I wasn't paid, I'd still do it because it, it doesn't stop when the mantle of God the call of God, the gifting of God, the vision of God, the purpose of God rests on your life, you are just messed up forever. Because you just can't do anything else. You're so convinced of it that you just have to do it. You just have to say it. You have to be there. You have to listen. You have to go. You have to speak. You, you pray. You, you do whatever you got to do because you know that it's compelling you to do something beyond yourself. Are you hearing me this morning? I want you to catch something here. Elisha was a plowman. David was a shepherd. Peter and John were fishermen. Paul was a tent maker. Jesus was a carpenter. And all five of them were called out of full-time work into full-time ministry. So be careful what mindset you've got going forward that you don't feel like, well, you know, I'm, 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 you know it just wouldn't work out right now because I'm... I'm busy at work, or I'm doing this, or I'm doing that, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. Listen, when the mantle of God comes upon you, God will creatively find ways for you to minister full-time, even in full-time employment. He's not limited to what you're doing 40 hours a week, 30 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 20 hours a week. He doesn't care because there's a lot more hours in a day, right? Are we good? 
Okay, I want you to see it this morning because the mantle of God was left by Jesus himself for you to pick up and carry. Okay? The fourth thing is this. The mantle must be seized without hesitation. 1 Kings 19, it obviously talks about Elisha, and, and you can just put that verse up there for people to reference, but it, again, it talks about this idea of being uh, influenced by God, being touched by Elijah, and Elisha was so moved that he had to do something. And he left everything he was doing, and he followed Elijah uh, without hesitation, okay? Luke 9, verse 62, it says, But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Author Tim Keller, who I think has one of the greatest books out there about an apologetic book about God, is called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. It's an incredible book. Um, but he has another quote in another book, and it says this, It is such people who in the hand of God become the ones who achieve mighty things in the economy of Christ. There is no debate, no delay. They simply step out to do God's will now. The call of God is not a need. It's not an opportunity. It's not an ability. It's not a personality. It's not even an invitation. It's not a desire. It is something so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. It is your life under complete submission to the extraordinary life of God so that the extraordinary life of God can be lived out by an extraordinary believer that loves his God in an extraordinary way. That is the call of God. It consumes you. It takes you over. It's the thing that when it rests upon you, I remember being uh, at the places of work in Oshawa before we moved to Kingston, and I remember having conversations with people in the lunchroom, and I knew that I only had half an hour, and I'm like, God, I've only got half an hour. What do you want to do? God can do something in five minutes that anyone else can take an hour and a half to get done. And I'd sit in that lunch hour, and someone would start sharing their struggles, and I'd just look at them. I said, listen, can I pray for you? Uh, sure. Like now. Sure. And I just like, Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would reveal yourself to this person. That you would turn the situation around. Lord, that you would bring people into their life to help them and to, and to support them and to encourage them in the decision that, that needs to be made. Lord, give them courage to do what they cannot do. In Jesus' name, amen. They look at me like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks, that, that, that meant a lot. That's good. So guess what happened tomorrow at lunch? Another now no longer five-minute conversation, it was now 10. Now guess what happened later on that week? It was now 20-minute conversation. And then later on, it turned into the full 30-minute conversations two or three times every week. Why? Because I just simply said, okay, God, here I am. I'd much rather be out preaching the gospel and leading the church, but Lord, I'm here at John Howard Society right now, so that's what you're calling me to do. That's what I'm going to do. God can use you anywhere because there's a mantle custom fit for your life and no one can take it from you and no one can rip it away from you. It's specific for you. Custom fit. Amen? My last thought, final, I'll come to a conclusion here. I'll come into the landing in a second. Is this, the mantle touched is not the mantle possessed. What do I mean by that? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 19 which is the, version, the passage of Scripture we've been reading, the mantle touches Elisha's life for the first time. But he didn't wear it. You catch that? He didn't wear it. It just touched him. 
it was on him for a second, and then Elijah, Elijah took it back. Why? Because it was Elijah's. For the next, Bible scholars are a little bit up in the air as far as how long this process took. But somewhere between seven and nine years, Elisha walked with Elijah and became his assistant for seven to nine years and just, just helped me to learn how to prophesy, helped me to learn how to be a man of God, helped me to learn how to take care of my family, helped me to learn how to, how to live with integrity, helped me to learn how to live with character, helped me to learn how to declare the things of God in such a way that people are going to hear it. I just want to learn. I just want to learn. I just want to learn. Seven to nine years later, he finally wears it and is possessing it for his life. Second Kings chapter 2, he finally received the mantle. And he didn't serve through that whole time out of obligation, but he desired to just learn and to take it in, and he served with every fiber of his being. And Second Kings chapter 2, verse 9, look what finally happened to Elisha. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you? And I want you to listen this morning and, and hear God's voice saying to you this morning, what can I do for you? God himself is speaking to you this morning and saying, what can I do for you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. <laughs> he walks with this guy for seven to nine years. He sees the power of the mantle of God resting upon his life. He gets to the end of seven to nine years and guess what he asked for? Um, I want two coats. I want double. I want double what he had. And guess what? He got it. He got it not because he was gifted. He got it not because he had the right personality. He got it not because he was from this, the, the, the right tribe or the right hometown. He got it not because he had relatives that were high and mighty. He got it not because of the bank account statement at the end of each month. He didn't get it because of the job he had. He was a plowman that had to go out and plow the fields all day long for years and years upon end. He definitely didn't get it because he was follically challenged. The guy was bald. That's a problem, okay? He didn't get it because of what he had. He got it because of a desire in his heart for wanting to walk out the plan and purpose to call the mantle of God on his life. That was it. That was it. Goes on in verses 10 to 13, and it says this, So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. That, so he basically says, listen, if you're still with me when I go off the planet, you'll get it. So guess what Elisha did? Anywhere he went, he was right by his side. Now just picture that for a second. Anywhere he went, at any time of the day, no matter what he had to do, Elisha was right there. Just think about that for a second. That's a little creepy. Right? It's like a Costco washroom where they all had to go in two by two, right? It's, it's, it's like, that's what happened, okay? He was right there. So the moment comes, and then it happened in verse 11, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. I don't know if you ever 
wanted a picture of how you're going to go off this earth, but that would be cool. I, I could take that. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes. Catch this for a second. He took a hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He says, you know what? I don't even want my own stuff here. I'm getting rid of anything of me because I know anything that I bring into this equation is going to limit what God can do. So I'm going to get rid of it. And he goes and he says, and he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. I want to say this morning, don't fail to pick up the opportunities that are right in front of you. Elijah's coat, his mantle fell on the ground and those opportunities were right. That opportunity was right in front of Elisha and he grabbed it and he took a hold of it and he wrapped it around him because he believed that there was something so significant that God had for his life right there. I don't know if you've ever put two and two together, but when Jesus was born, he was wrapped in a Hebrew word translated we see it in the New Testament with the Greek word as swaddling clothes, but guess what the Hebrew word is? Comparative. Mantle. When Jesus died, the soldiers gambled for his. Yeah. When Jesus left the tomb, he left his. And now he's simply saying, pick it up. Don't leave it in the tomb. Don't leave it in the tomb of discouragement. Don't leave it in the tomb of frustration. Don't leave it in the tomb of fear. Don't leave it in that tomb. Pick up the mantle that God himself has left for you through Jesus Christ. Pick it up. Because he's got something so significant for your life. Don't leave it in the tomb. Too many people throughout history have left the mantle of Jesus that he left for his church in the tomb. Just pick it up today. Let's just stand together if we can. And let's just pray for a second before we end the service. Father, I pray this.